Welcome to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Sievercrop, and I am just like you. I'm busy with work, family, kids, church, and a million other responsibilities. And honestly, some days I miss my personal scripture study and prayers. And some days we as a family miss our scripture study and prayer. But I'm trying. So if you're not perfect in living the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, but you're trying, well, get along great, and this is the place for you. Five days a week, I'll share a brief episode, often based on the Come Follow Me curriculum for that week, that I'm using to have daily conversations with my kids, whether we're on our way to school or on our way home or if it's real quick before dinner. And you're welcome to use them to do the same with your family or your personal study. Just know that the views and opinions I share are mine alone and do not represent the official doctrine and viewpoint of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now let's jump right in with today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. And today we're going to be studying, and well, I studied, and I'm going to be sharing with you from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I realized today first off, that I need to tell you thank you. Uh, Thank you for listening. But more importantly, thank you for understanding and and being okay with, I assume you're okay, nobody sent me evil, not evil, nobody sent me angry uh, emails or messages about not liking uh, this new format where I'm just doing my study and then I'm sharing with you what I studied. But thank you. So I assume you're okay with it. So thank you for allowing me to do that because today is one of those days that if I had not been studying for myself and then just sharing with you, I would not have had uh, the study that I did because I would have been worried about it applying to you and may not have dug into it the way that I did. And I really got some good stuff out of it. So I'm excited to share with you what I got out of it. Hopefully it helps you as well. And I think there is application uh, for everyone uh, in this. So First Timothy chapter 3 uh, the heading before the chapter says that it's the qualifi- qualifications are given for bishops and deacons. And as I was reading that, I realized, because um, I, I know I've mentioned it before, so I'm sure you know, but if you're new to the podcast or or had not caught it, um, I served as bishop. Um, so I've been a bishop before, and I actually, um, fun timing, I just got called again into the bishopric as the first counselor in my ward, my new ward. Uh, where I moved to when I got I got released as bishop because I moved into a new ward and now um, I got called into the bishopric. So as I was reading this, I'm thinking, okay, well these are these are things. My first thought was, oh well, these are things that that uh, Bishop Jacobson, uh, who I'm serving with, needs to have. <laughs> and I thought that kind of rather humorously. And then I realized, wait a second, uh, bishop is a um, it's a priesthood office. So while I'm not actively serving as bishop right now, I am still a bishop. Um, I still hold that office. And so these qualifications apply to me. And then I took that a step further and realized, really, these qualifications apply to all priesthood holders. These are these are things, you know, we should all be living as priesthood holders. We should all be living in a manner that we could be, could serve, could have the qualifications, could be the type of person that could serve as bishop if we were asked to do so. And then I took it a step farther and realized, you know, really, these are good qualifications for anybody, <laughs> any member of the church. Uh, these are good qualifications. Um, 
you know, with with the exception of, um, let's see, uh, the husband to one wife. Um, if you're a sister, you should be the wife to one husband, obviously. Um, but you know, all of these are really, really good attributes, and they're things that all of us should strive to have. Um, and then uh, I had the chuckle in in verse one. Verse one says, "This is a true saying: If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work." And a good friend of mine, um, Jay Bear, uh, was bishop when I joined the church. He was my bishop, um, and we've since become friends. He was he was still in the ward when I served as bishop, which was kind of neat to uh, um, to have that swap um, of him being bishop when I joined the church, and then me uh, getting to be bishop and him being in my ward. Uh, and he told me once, and I know he says this uh, rather often. Uh, but kind of tongue in cheek, he says, anybody who wants to be bishop deserves everything they get. Uh, because, you know, it's certainly something that I've never met a single person who desires to be bishop. <laughs> because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress. Um, so it made me chuckle when I read this when Paul says, look, if anybody wants to be a bishop, he, he, he wants a good thing. Um, and I think maybe Paul said that because he was never a bishop. <laughs> he went straight to being an apostle. Um, but, you know, as I served as bishop, it was really easy to to pick up on all the stresses and the challenges and the weight of dealing and helping others deal with their, their challenges and their issues and their uh, repentance process. And those things do weigh on you a lot as a bishop. But I also realized that there was a lot of amazing blessings, and it was a really good experience. And I have to be honest with you, it was my, it has been my favorite calling um, because I had the opportunity to experience the pure love of Christ. Uh, never before in my life had I experienced, not even as a missionary, had I experienced um, what I knew was literally charity. It was a it was a love for other people that was given to me. I did nothing to receive it. I did nothing to develop it. I just had it for people. And it was an amazing experience. The other amazing part of it was was watching the atonement work in people's lives um, and having literally a front row seat to seeing people change, uh, to seeing them repent, to seeing them uh, move along the, the covenant path that President Nelson talks about. And also seeing the atonement work in people's lives who had been wronged, who had had challenges, who had had struggles, who had been hurt by other people very, very deeply. And to see the atonement literally lift their burdens and to to see the Savior through the atonement carry those people. So uh, I do agree with Paul that it is a good work. It is, it is a wonderful and an amazing opportunity. I'm grateful that I had it, but it did make me chuckle because I did certainly did not desire to be bishop. And I don't know of anybody that did desire to be bishop. But like uh, my friend Jay says, anybody that desires to be a bishop deserves everything they get. <laughs> so let's jump into these qualifications. These are really, really good. And, and it was something that it was really as I studied this. And again, I'm so grateful that I did this as my own study, not because I wanted to prepare something for you, but just because I was studying what I wanted to study. And I really plan on getting through chapters three and four, but I really dug in uh, and I wrote down every one of the qualifications that Paul lists. <clears throat> he lists the qualifications for bishops and deacons. And so I listed the qualifications for bishop. I went through and I wrote and I made notes of what I thought those words meant and, and how they apply to me. And then I got to the deacons and I realized, well, th the bishop, uh, when he's serving in the office of bishop and award, is the president of the ironic priesthood. 
Uh, and so because of that, he must also have, the bishop must also have the qualifications of a deacon. And there was a couple that aren't listed um, in bishop that are listed for deacon. So I listed those. I didn't list again the ones that were listed for bishop. But here's the qualifications. You know, you can go through and read. This is verses 2 through um, 7 for bishop and then verses 8 through 13 for deacons. Uh, but here's the ones that, that are listed. Uh, blameless. And I wrote being worthy. Married, being the husband to one wife. Uh, vigilant. And I looked up the definition of vigilant. It says keeping careful watch for danger or possibility. So as I read that definition of vigilant, I realized you know, the bishops referred to as the father of the ward or, or the shepherd of the ward. Um, and, and it really is the idea of being a shepherd, you know, ke keeping careful watch for danger, you know, um, looking after the people in, in their ward <clears throat> and helping them. Sober, uh, you know, sober, I looked it up, it, or if you look in the footnotes, it says temperate, uh, circumspect. If you look up circumspect, it says you don't take crazy risks. Those aren't the exact words, but it says not prone to taking risks or something like that. Uh, good behavior, uh, you know, they have good behavior. Given to hospitality, you know, they're always looking to help and serve others. Apt to teach, looking to teach, looking to help others to learn and to grow, to, to develop in the gospel. Uh, not given the wine. Uh, so the word of wisdom. But I think even more than the word of wisdom, uh, what I got from that was really they're in control of, of their body and of their habits. You know, they're, uh, they're not... Uh, eating to excess there, you know, you, you, you're following the word of wisdom, which really is about temperance and those types of things. Um, let's see, no striker. So they're not abusive. Uh, and that's, that's physical or otherwise, you know, emotional or verbal or anything else. Uh, and also not a bully, you know, they're not bullying people, not greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, you know, they're not focused solely on making money, making money or getting money is not the most important thing to them. Um, now, certainly we can be successful. And if you go back to, to, to previous episodes, we've talked about that. Um, and I, I'm going to see if I can pull up as we're talking here, uh, see if I can pull up the, the list of the list of episodes and see if I can find which episode I talk about, about that. Um, let's see here. This is what happens when I'm recording live and I'm not editing anything. You're just going to get to see me look, look for a second. Um, is it that one? Nope, wasn't that one. Um, okay, so there's uh, episode 50, He That Is Faithful. I talk a little bit about it, and I think there's another one, and I think it's be or later on um, where I talk about it. Maybe just, I want to say it's like 57, but no. Oh, yeah, I think it was 57. 57 is, uh, we talk about episode 57. We talk about uh, the rich young man and uh, what we can learn from that. And we talk about... Uh, being successful and, and making money and those types of things. So uh, episodes 50 and 57, you can get those at everydayconversion.com forward slash 50, five zero and forward slash 57, five seven. Um, so anyways, where are we? Okay, patient. Patient's pretty self-explanatory. Not a brawler, you know, so they're not prone to fighting or confronting others. Uh, not covetous. 
uh, obviously covet, you know, we, we always think of covetousness as, as man, I wish I had that person's car. But as I was thinking about it, I realized, you know, it's really more than that. It's, it's, you're not envying others and you're not wishing they, that you had what they have. And, and that, yes, that is possessions, man. I wish I had a car. It's not doing that, but it's also there's circumstances, you know, looking at somebody and saying, man, I wish I, I wish I had their life. I wish I, you know, I, I was able to do the things that they do. That's being covetous, covetous, having covetousness. Blech. Wow. That's a tough one. Uh, as well, um, you know, and then it gets into the next the next qualification. Ruleth well his own house, um, and then it says that uh, his children are subject are in subjection with all gravity. And I thought about these a little bit because, um, you know, when you talk about ruling your own house and, and your children being in subjection, then you get into things that are out of your control. Uh, our children and our families have their agency. Uh, and they can choose to do things. So as I was thinking about it, I realized it. I feel like Paul's really talking about the things that are within our control. Uh, so rule of dwells in house, you know, he focuses on his family responsibilities. Those are important to him. Um, and, and he's a good husband and father. And then children being in subjection, I don't think it's as much that his children are perfect and they, they, they all uh, do what they're supposed to do. And they're all active in the gospel because that's outside of our control. We can't control what our children decide to do. Um, but were they taught, were they, were they raised, uh, the way that they should have been, you know, were the parents involved, uh, did they do everything they could? Did they discipline them? Did they set boundaries? Did they do those things? I really think that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, is he a good father? Uh, does he work well with his, his spouse, um, to raise their children, to set boundaries, to, uh, expect them to, uh, develop good qualities and those types of things. And then if the kids choose to not do that, that's on them. You know, that's on them. That doesn't, that doesn't take away from the, uh, the, the righteousness of, of the father or the mother. I don't think, um, let's see, not a novice as other, you know, he's got other experiences, whether those are priesthood leader or priesthood opportunities or leadership experiences, you know, they've had opportunities to exercise, um, their priesthood and to lead others and to help others. Uh, and it, it, it says in there, uh, you know, not a novice. And then it says, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So it's talking about, you know, it can't be their first time. So the, the you know, the power goes to their head, as it were. Uh, they have to understand. They have to, to have been in these situations and been around. I think part of it is being around those that have served in those positions, uh, you know, being around other bishops. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, I, was, I was never a high councilman. Uh, before I was bishop. I was never in a bishopric before I was bishop, but I did serve as state clerk and state executive secretary, which means I had ample opportunity to be around the state president and to learn from him and to watch how he led um, and to watch his counselors and how they led and, and the things that they dealt with and the things that they were focused on and, and why they did things. And I also got to sit in, to, in bishop's council meetings with the state presidency and to listen to the bishops and to hear what they were talking about and what their challenges were and how they were dealing with it. And I think that that really gave me a lot of experience. Um, and then you know, the last one that lists is have a good report of them, which are without, um, you know, and so this was just, you know, you're respected, you know, you, you, that you have a good reputation in the church and also in the community. And obviously that's important for um, many reasons. You know, people, people have a hard time if, if they know somebody that seems to be, um, you know, underhanded or, uh, not exactly in uh, full of integrity, and then they see them in a position of leadership. It, it really affects people, and it affect it can affect missionary work. It can affect uh, interacting with the community and many things like that. So uh, that's important. 
so those are those are the ones that are listed for bishop, and and it's quite the list. And I realize that I have some work to do. Um, I'm not perfect in all of those things, and I'm, I'm striving to be. But then I list the the uh, qualifications for deacon, and there's only let's see one, two, three, four, five that weren't listed for bishop, and then there's several that were. So uh, just to go through the list real quick, the ones that were listed for both bishop and and deacon were being blameless, uh, being married. Uh, not given to wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, ruleth well his own house. Um, so those were all listed in both. And then just for deacon, it says to be grave, to be dignified, to act in a dignified manner. And I, I had the chuckle thinking of the 11 and 12 and 13-year-olds uh, that I know um, that are deacons. And and that's that's quite the quite the, the responsibility to be dignified, to be grave. And they do a great job at it. Uh, but you know, if I was to think of a most 11 and 12 and 13 year olds, I know I would not (laughs) think of them as being grave or dignified in a general sense, but they do a great job when they're serving as in their responsibilities as a deacon, uh, not double tongued. So there's no deceit. They're not trying to trick people or cheat people or anything like that. Uh, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. I don't know exactly what this means. Um, and I'm curious to see your thoughts. If you have any feedback or thoughts of what that means to me, I think what I got from it as I read it is that he has a testimony. He knows that the gospel is true. Uh, but I'm going to be digging into that a little bit more and see if I can figure that out. Um, it says that they must first be proved, you know, they have to, to, to show that they're prepared and they're worthy to serve as a deacon. You know, and I thought of the fact that there's been a lot of conversation with uh, deacons being uh, ordained uh, at the beginning of the year in which they turn 12, which means you could have some 11-year-olds, barely 11-year-olds. Uh, for example, my son, his birthday's in November. So when he gets ordained as a deacon, he'll be like 11 years old and two months. There's a big difference in the the deportment and the attitude and the personality and the maturity of somebody that's 11 years old and two months and somebody that's 11 years old or in 12 years old, there's a really big difference there. And so, you know, there's been a lot of conversation when that was changed. And I talked to friends of mine that were bishops and were making these and doing these interviews and realizing that, you know, sometimes that might mean that somebody doesn't get ordained right when they right in January of the year that they turn 12, maybe they wait a few months because they're not quite prepared. And I feel like that's what Paul's saying. They need to be prepared. They need to be to understand the responsibility that is theirs. And then it says that they, uh, in paraphrasing, it basically says they have to have good, faithful wives, which also made me chuckle since deacons are now 11, 12, and 13. Uh, they're obviously not going to have wives, but um, there was some really good stuff listed there. And I think it's important. And I, I think back to when I was bishop of the amazing support that my wife was to me and what an integral part she played in allowing me to fulfill my calling. You know, my wife always really was hesitant, you know, to think of being the bishop's wife as a calling, but in a lot of ways it is. I don't think there's the expectation that that sometimes we put on bishop's wives culturally. I don't think there should be that expectation because everyone's different. And it's, you know, my wife was was would often say, you know, it's his calling, not mine. Um, don't don't judge me based on his calling. Uh, because she's very quiet and she's not the outgoing going to to ask everybody how they're doing and make sure everybody's okay. That's not, you know, we shouldn't expect that of every bishop's wife because they're all different and um, they're all going to, to, to fulfill that responsibility to support their husbands and that calling very differently. You know, my wife has had, uh, you know, at the end of when I was bishop, three young kids, uh, the, the youngest being uh, just a few months old. 
And now when I'm serving in the bishopric and I'm not sitting with her anymore in, in church again, uh, she has three young kids that are, uh, you know, 11, six, and two. Uh, and the two-year-old is the wild one now <laughs> um, and, and is really a challenge. But Paul does say here that they need to be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful. These are the, the qualifications of the wife of a deacon and also of a bishop. Um, and so when I look at that, it's just they're really they're good and they're faithful. They have faith. Um, you know, as, as, as much as my wife didn't want to be pigeonholed into being a certain type of person because she was my, the wife of the Bishop, um, she never once hesitated. Uh, you know, when, when the call was extended to us, she said, well, there's no other option. Yeah, of course, of course, we'll, of course I'll accept. Of course I'm okay with him accepting. And when I was uh, extended this call to be in the Bishopric, you know, even though she has a, a two-year-old, that's a complete terror, uh, many times, uh, uh, definitely our most most trying child um, is wild and screams and you know we take him out in the hall quite a bit and, and just he's just that kid he's got a lot of energy he's not a bad kid uh, he's got he's he's very happy uh, most of the time and but he is a trial and so even with him and her realizing that that meant she was gonna have three kids all by herself again when when that was extended and, and they asked me to serve in the bishopric again she she didn't hesitate. And I really think that's what Paul's saying is you need somebody that has a testimony, somebody that's going to support and encourage and understand um, the sacrifices that need to be made, not only by the bishop, uh, but also by their families, because there was a lot of sacrifices made when I served as bishop. And there's going to be a lot of sacrifices as I serve as a counselor in the bishopric at this time. So these are the qualifications that that I read in, in first Timothy chapter three. And there's a lot in there. And like I said at the beginning, it really is qualifications that we all should strive to. Uh, men, women, bishop, not bishop, doesn't matter. These are all good qualifications. I can't look at any of those and say, well, you need those as bishop, but you don't need those as a member of the church. You know, if you're not serving in the capacity of a bishop or you don't hold the, the office of a bishop. Uh, or, well, these are ones you need if you're a, a male in the church, a priesthood holder, but you don't need them if you're, if you're a, a, a woman in the church. They all apply to all of us. These are all things that we should all do. You know, really, it comes down to being Christ-like. It comes down to living the gospel. I mean, none of these things are anything that every single one of us as members of the church has been have, have not been asked to do. We've all been asked to do these things. We've all been asked to be this way. But for me, as I studied this morning personally, it was a very eye-opening and sobering reminder for me of the type of person that Heavenly Father expects me to be because I, I do hold the office of a bishop. And it was a reminder and an encouragement to me that, that I need, I need to, to work uh, at being those things. I need to, to focus on being more of those things. You know, I don't think there's any of those that I'm not doing. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, a striker. I'm not abusive. I'm not a bully. I don't, you know, I, I'm not those things, but I definitely, I, I could work on being more patient, you know, and I could work on being a better husband and a better father. I could work on uh, being, uh, a bit more uh, given to hospi hospitality. You know, those are things that, that we can all work on. Um, but it was it was really good. And I encourage you to go back and read that chapter. Um, and another thing I think uh, that's really important is realizing that this is these are the things that your bishop's trying to be. These are things that your bishop is trying to um, cultivate within himself. And there are many ways as members that you can help your bishop to be this way. 
Um, you know, it's, it's realizing that the, it is a high standard and there are a lot of things that are expected of him. And to, so to give him grace, to, to understand that he's human, but that he's trying to live all of these qualifications. Um, and then he has a lot of responsibilities, um, not just church responsibilities. He has a lot of responsibilities. You know, one of the biggest challenges for me was, was balancing my church responsibilities with my family responsibilities. You know, balancing the needs of everybody in the ward and the people that needed my help, needed my counsel, needed my advice, needed to just talk through things with my wife needing my help and my my support and my, uh, you know, all of those things and my kids. So realizing and understanding what these qualifications are, find find ways that you can help your bishop to be able to fulfill those qualifications. And another great one is praying for your bishop, praying for the bishopric, asking Heavenly Father to bless them and help them. You know, we talked about prayer yesterday. We talked about um, in, in yesterday's or the, the previous episode, I guess not yesterday's necessarily, uh, when Timothy says that, or Timothy Paul says that we should pray for all men, um, you know, and all men would certainly include your bishop. So I would encourage you to realize the, the strain and the stress uh, the, that the bishop um, experiences and to pray for them, to pray that they may be able to have these qualifications, to pray that they can do the things that they need to do and pray for their families too. Um, you know, I, I appreciated the prayers for my family or for myself when I was bishop, but I can tell you, I appreciated a million times more when people would ask how my wife was doing. Uh, there were some wonderful families in my ward that every time I talked to them, uh, they would basically say, Bishop, we're not worried about you. How's your wife doing? How are your kids doing? Are they okay? Uh, do they need help? And, and, and even now serving the bishopric, um, a wonderful family in our ward, actually, our, our bishop's wife, um, immediately after I got called, came up to my, my wife and said, can we sit with you? Can we help with the kids? Is there anything we can do to help you? Um, and those are the types of things that really make a difference. And, and I can tell you, they make the world difference for your bishop when, when he sees that his family is being taken care of, that people are reaching out to them and helping them and checking in on them because it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, to be the family that has to sacrifice. Um, and we were greatly blessed. We were amazingly blessed, um, when, when I was serving as bishop, uh, but we were blessed because people looked out for us. And they prayed for us and they they sought ways to serve us and to help us because they knew and they 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 understood the sacrifices that my wife and my kids were making uh, as I was serving as bishop. So read these qualifications, think about those things, apply those qualifications in your life, your life. Try to try strive to uh, to be those things and also strive to find ways that you can help and support your bishop as he does those things. So you can find everything we talked about today in uh, at everydayconversion.com forward slash 107. And I look forward to, to coming back with the next episode from my personal study. And again, thank you so much for uh, being willing to accept this new format that allows me to have my personal study and, and really focus on studying what's best for me and then sharing that with you. Have a great day. All right, that's it for today. Now, I know, I know you want to hang out with me longer, but we both have a ton of things to do today, including living the gospel and trying to be like Jesus. Cue primary children singing. I'm trying to be like Jesus. 
But hey, if you want to get the links to everything we talked about today, you can find it on the episodes page of everydayconversion.com. You can also do cool stuff like subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening platform, sign up for email notifications of new episodes, and connect with us on social media there. It's kind of like a virtual church library without the militant librarians or a piece of paper to sign out your three tiny pieces of chalk for your lesson. Also, just remember, I do my best to make sure my opinions are in line with official church doctrine, but they are just that. They're my opinions. For official doctrine and viewpoints, I recommend you go to churchofjesuschrist.org or comeuntochrist.org.